0: Well, good morning, and we are officially past the Christmas season, so now I can say Happy New Year. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. I want you to go ahead and take your Bibles uh, and turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. So Luke is in the New Testament, which is the last, like one-quarter or one-third, uh, depending on how your Bible is laid out. Uh, you'll find a series of four very American-sounding names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, so Luke is in the mix of those four. Uh, if you're having trouble finding it, do not feel embarrassed to go to the table of contents. That's why God gave that to us, uh, to help us find where all of these 66 books are in this Bible, because that's how many are in here. So, Luke chapter 10. Now, it's New Year's. Uh, New Year's Day is going to be two days from now, which means many people are probably making resolutions. Now, don't raise your hand, but just answer to yourself. Have you ever made a New Year's resolution? Have You ever done one of those? Did you stick to it for an entire year? I would almost say, and this is according to studies, that if every person in this room raised their hand that yes, they've made a New Year's resolution in the past, and then when I ask how many of you stuck with it for a year, that either zero or only one of you would be able to keep your hand up. Isn't that interesting? According to research, when we make New Year's resolutions, the vast majority of people only stick with it for three weeks. There are 52 weeks in the year, and we only stick with it for three of the 52. And so New Year's resolutions are interesting because we always go back to them. We always go back and say, I'm going to do better this year. I haven't been better for the last 40 years of my life, but this year I'm going to get it right. I'm going to do it good this time, but we never stick with it. Uh, It's just one of those interesting cultural phenomenon that we see in the world around me. I was interested in kind of what New Year's resolutions people make, and so I just Googled real quick and found a a research study that said that the top uh, three or four uh, New Year's resolutions can be kind of umbrellaed under a, a few topics. The first one, the most common New Year's resolution is to be more healthy. So, it's eating better, exercising more, making better health decisions, things like that. The second most common is increasing or developing yourself. So, reading more, or going and starting a degree plan, or going and getting a better job, things like that. The third one, interestingly, is spiritual. Uh, I'm going to be more spiritual this year, I'm going to go to church more, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray more. Those kinds of things are the third most common. And then the fourth has to do with money. I'm going to save more, Uh, I'm going to invest better, I'm going to do things like that. And so those are the four most common New Year's resolutions amongst Americans. But why is it that we can't stick with them? Why is it so hard to stick with those New Year's resolutions? Well, what are we trying to improve? We're almost always trying to improve some bad habit that we have, right? And how easy is it to improve or change a bad habit? It's really hard. And so it all comes down to changing habits and the way we live our lives. I wanna give you this morning three simple ways, if you are wanting to do a New Year's resolution, three simple ways to maybe make it last more than three weeks. So here are the three ways. The first thing that you can do to kind of make your New Year's resolution go a little better is to start simple. Start with something small. So let me use reading the Bible more as an example this morning. Let's say your New Year's resolution is, I'm going to read the Bible more. Well, some of you may be tempted to say, I'm going to read the entire Bible in a year, and if you came to me and said, this is my New Year's resolution, I'm going to read the whole Bible in one year, my first question to you is going to be, okay, well, how much do you read now every day? And if you come to me and you say, oh, well, I want to do a Bible in a year, but currently I don't read it all, I'm going to tell you to rethink your resolution, because do you know how much you have to read per day in order to read the Bible in one year? You have to read several chapters seven days a week every single day of the year. It is a 20 to 30 minute per day commitment. And if you're doing zero minutes per day, that may be too lofty, that may be too much. And I'll get to the reason why that's a bad idea here in just a second. So my encouragement is rather than saying, I'm gonna go from zero to a lot of Bible reading, I would say start small. Start with saying something like, I'm going to go from reading zero to reading 15 minutes, four days a week. That's something simple and small that most people can fit into their lifestyle. Then, after you've done that for a month uh, or something like that, you can say, okay, I've kind of gotten into this routine, and I'm doing really good, so rather than doing 15 minutes, four days a week, I'm going to bump it up to 15 minutes, five days a week. And then after you've done that for a little bit, you say, okay, now I'm going to do 20 minutes five days a week. And you just kind of bump it up incrementally over time until you hit the goal that you're looking for. And so that's my encouragement to you is is rather than going with a big lofty goal, start with something small and simple. And here's why this is important. Number two, don't get discouraged when you're not perfect. So what I find generally is someone who doesn't read their Bible and says, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. Within three weeks, they're already a week behind. And they're so far behind that they get discouraged and they say, well, I'm going to give up because there's no way I could catch up. There's no way that I can make up all that reading and all that time. It's just too much. So they give up and they just throw in the towel and they're done. So rather Start simple, start small, and then build up. And don't get discouraged when you don't hit that goal every day or every week. Instead, say, you know what? I missed it this day or I missed it this week, but that doesn't matter. I'm going to jump right back in where I left off. So don't get discouraged when you're not perfect. Then the third one, and this one is the most effective in helping us change habits, is get someone to hold you to it. In Christian world, in church world, we call that accountability. Find yourself someone to hold you accountable. So if you're wanting to read the Bible 15 minutes, four days a week, find a friend or someone that you trust and look up to that won't be afraid to ask you whether you've been reading or not and ask them, will you check up on me? Will you, will, every Sunday when you see me or will you text me and just make sure that I'm doing what I'm committing to do here. This last step is actually the most effective way to change habits. It's even more effective if rather than saying, hey, will you text me or ask me on Sunday how I'm doing? It's even more effective to say, hey, will you do this with me? And let's do it together. And it's a win-win scenario because rather than just saying, I'm going to do this for me, you're saying, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to bring someone else along and help them grow in their relationship with Christ also or maybe it's working out, or maybe it's eating better. You, getting that accountability actually helps a lot when it comes to sticking with it. Now, all these points are helpful, and they're great, and we really should try to constantly be improving ourselves and growing ourselves both spiritually, mentally, and physically. But here's a question. What would Jesus's resolution be for us if we went nasty? What do you think it would be? If you went and asked Jesus, what would you want my New Year's resolution to be? What do you think he would say? Well, I think he gives us the answer in Luke chapter 10. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, and let's see what Jesus has to say. Now, Luke chapter 10,
1: if you probably, you are very familiar with Probably familiar with references. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Spiritual leader in the community. This is not someone that works in a secular court system and situations and helped.
0: In this is a guy who knows the Bible in and out forwards and, forwards. and he's come to Jesus in the verse 25. He came not to ask a question. This guy's not just curious. He's actually testing Jesus. This man probably, more than likely, was not a fan of Jesus. The spiritual leaders of this day and time didn't particularly like Jesus. They didn't like what he taught. They didn't like what he claimed, what he said. Uh, and so this man is probably testing him to see if he can kind of either catch him in a trap or catch him saying something that is not biblical. So, the lawyer comes to him. He wants to know how the law can be summed up, and Jesus kind of throws it back at him, and he answers, love God, love others. Super simplified version. Love God, love others. And Jesus says, that's correct. Uh, And the wording there is actually... Love your neighbor as yourself. And so let's look and see what happens after. Verse 29. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That's an interesting question. Because, again, remember, this man is an in this book. He knew the Old Testament in and out. And he knew exactly
1: what he was supposed to be. And so, look at what, how Jesus answers his question of who is my neighbor. Verse thirty. on the other
0: side. So likewise, when he came to place him, also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell along the robbers? Then the lawyer answered, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, You go and do likewise. Now, in our current contemporary American English context, this may not make complete sense because they're talking about groups of people that we're not completely familiar with. And so let me kind of put this in modern context just a little bit for us. There are four major characters in the story that Jesus tells. The first one is the Jewish man who is traveling along the road, gets robbed, beaten, and left on the side of the road to die. He's dying on the side of the road. Then there are three people that come along and cross paths and pass by him. The first one is a priest. Modern day terms, me, a preacher, a pastor, a lead pastor, somebody leading a group of followers of Jesus, okay? The pastor, typical of pastors apparently, doesn't just pass by. He makes a point to see the man on the side of the road and goes, oh. I don't want anything to do. I'm going to go the long way around to avoid any contact with that man. He did the opposite of what you would expect a preacher to do. Or maybe he did exactly what you would expect. I don't know what kind of preacher you know. but So he passes by and goes the long way around to avoid the man at all costs. Then comes along a Levite. Now the Levites back in this day and time, they were the servants of the temple. And so the Levites' jobs were, they took care of the temple, they cleaned the temple, they they took care of all the ministry work that was being taken care of that the priests didn't directly do. And so this Levite would be in church terms either like another minister in the church or a deacon. And we've got some deacons in here. The deacon does the exact same thing that the preacher does. He sees the man on the side of the road and goes, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to go the long way around to be as far away from him as possible. Then comes the last character, the Samaritan. Now, let me tell you about the Samaritans. The Samaritans was a race of people that lived inside Israel. So imagine Israel on a map. It's a big, long, skinny country, right? The Samaritans lived smack dab in the middle of the land of Israel. And the Samaritans were a holdover people. They were a mixed race. They were half Jewish people and half foreign people that got brought into the country like four to five hundred years before Jesus. And so the Samaritans were a mixed blood race. They weren't Jewish, but they weren't foreigners either. They were a combination of the two. And the Israelites... The Jewish people were racist towards this group of people. They saw them as being below them. They didn't think that they were worthy of worship. The Samaritans actually worshipped the same God that the Israelites worshipped, but they did not worship Him in Jerusalem. They didn't believe that they needed to go to the temple. They worshipped in a a place in the land of Samaria. And so the Israelite people... Did not like the Samaritans at all. As a matter of fact, it is very well documented by historians of this day and time that if a Jewish person was traveling from northern Israel down to southern Israel to go to Jerusalem, the fastest route was just to go straight through Samaria. But almost all Israelites would go the long way around along the Jordan River away and avoid Samaria altogether. That's how much they disliked. The Samaritan people. They avoided them at all costs. They saw them as lower than people. They did not respect them. They did not like them, and they actively persecuted them. They actively put them down. And so this Samaritan is traveling down the road. He sees an Israelite man dying on the side of the road. His fellow Israelites have passed by him, and who stops to help? The guy that the uh, the man who the man who's dying would have rather spit on than come in contact with. That's who stops. The person who had nothing in common with that person. That's who stops. In today's day and day in today's terms, it, maybe it's not racism. Maybe it's something else. Maybe maybe it's the difference between a a devoted Christian, and maybe an atheist that is very anti-church and anti-Christian. Uh, I know many people who are very anti-church, and they want nothing to do with it, and it's hard to be around them because I'm a pastor. Maybe it's someone who is a different religion. Maybe it's a, a Muslim or a Hindu or, or someone who worships another god. Maybe it's that person that I don't have much in common with because they see the world in a t- totally different way because of their Religious views. Maybe it's political. Maybe it's someone. Maybe you're Republican and it's a Democrat that you know. I don't know. It's someone that is totally different from the man. That's the guy that stops. Now, what does Jesus say? Your neighbor? It's that guy. It's the guy that you don't have anything that maybe, in normal terms, you don't even like that much. in this day and time, it's the guy you'd rather spit on than come in contact with. It's the guy that if you see them coming down the road you make a point to dug down an alley or jump into a room to avoid having to interact with them. That is our neighbor. And that's hard to swallow sometimes because it's very easy to be our neighbor with everyone sitting in this room because we have something in common for the most part. If you're a follower of Christ, you have something in common with Or Or we, we start to see the world from a biblical perspective. That's not who Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the person that is different from us, that we have a difficult time with. So, it's interesting, I think, because one of the aspects of this almost seems like a bad joke, doesn't it? A pastor, a deacon, and an atheist walk into a bar. It kind of has that feeling. You know, okay, what do these three have in common? Where is this story going? What's going to happen? That's what Jesus does here. He catches us off guard, because we would expect the Levite and the priest to stop and help this man, but they don't just not stop, they go out of their way to avoid him. Jesus didn't have a lot of respect for the people who were religious in his day and time. He had respect for people who lived out their faith. And that's what he encourages us to do, is to not just claim to be Christian, but to live out our Christian faith, day in and day out. So here's my statement for the morning. Um, I always have a statement, or I t- usually have a statement that I want you to be able to walk away with and not remember most of my sermon, but I want you to remember that one phrase because I want you to be able to, to apply that one phrase to your life throughout this week uh, and month and year and et cetera. So here's my statement for today. I think Jesus' resolution for us would be this. Love everyone, everywhere, every time. Love everyone, no exceptions. Everywhere, no exceptions. Every time, no exceptions. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus doesn't call us to just love the people that are like us, that we enjoy being around. He calls us to love all people, all the time, everywhere that we're at. I think that would be Jesus' New Year's resolution because if we love everyone, everywhere, every time, how would our lives in this community be different? How would this church be different if we could simply commit to loving people the way Jesus loves people? I think that is the ultimate New Year's resolution and you say, well, but What about growing in Christ? What about what you said earlier about reading our Bible more or praying more or whatever? Those are great. Guys, hear me on this. Don't get me wrong. We need to study God's word. We need to know God better and we need to know who he is. We need to understand the things of God and and God's character. We want to know those things. We need to spend time in prayer. You know, those are essential to us. But 1 Corinthians 13 makes it clear that if we know all there is to know about God and we pray ceasingly, we, we never, never cease in our prayers and we do all these things, but we don't have love, all of that is nothing. If I, could read the Bi- if I could quote the Bible front and back and I knew every passage of scripture, but I didn't love people, all of that scripture would be dead. It would be totally useless in my life if I wasn't applying what God's Word says by loving people. And so the fact of the matter is, is yes, get involved in a Bible study. And if you're not involved in a Bible study and you'd like to get involved in one here at First Southern, uh, we would love to help you get connected with a Bible study with people that are like you, that may be the same age range or stage of life. We would love to help you with that. But... If it ends there, if you go to church on Sunday morning and then you go to a Bible study, but you don't love people throughout the week, Sunday morning church and that Sunday Bible study is useless. All the theology in the world, all the knowledge of the Trinity, uh, your knowledge of eschatology and soteriology and and, and theories of justification, I'm using big words on purpose here, Uh, all of those ideas... If you are an expert on how the end times are going to happen, all of that would be completely useless if we're not loving people. Because that's what should should drive us to that point. is to love God and love others. Love our neighbor as ourself. Love everyone, everywhere, every time. That's what the Bible points us to do. And I think that's what Jesus' New Year's resolution would be for us. So let me go back to something that I touched on on the beginning. And I want to tie it in to this idea. Uh, I gave you three points, uh, three ways to maybe help your New Year's resolution stick. And, and so throw those New Year's uh, helps back up there. Start with something small. And, and by this I mean maybe there is someone, just one person, In your life, that as I go, yeah, they're completely different. They're not like you. And you'd rather avoid them than cross paths with them. Maybe, as I said that, maybe someone popped into your head. A worker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's someone in your social circle. Maybe it's someone sitting in this room. I don't know. But maybe, when I said that, someone popped into your mind. And if you've got a person that maybe you haven't been loving because you don't like them very much or they're hard to get along with or whatever, maybe that's where you start. Maybe you just start with one person and just say, I'm going to start small and I'm going to make a concerted effort moving forward to be nice, kind, and loving in the name of Christ to this person. So start with something small maybe and build up. Maybe you're the kind of person that gets discouraged when you don't do perfectly at this. Maybe you say, yeah, I'm going to be nice to this one person and you're really, really nice for three weeks and then three weeks, at the end of the three weeks hits and you blow up at this guy or you do everything to avoid them and you're not nice and you're not kind and you're not loving and you get discouraged by that. Let me fill you in on a secret. Maybe not so much of a secret, but Jesus never expects perfection. He wants progress. He doesn't ever expect us to be perfect as he is perfect. He just expects us and wants us to do the best that we can to give it our 100% best. None of us are going to be perfect in loving others. Ever. No matter how good of a person, how joyous of a person you are, we will always fall short. Because we're people. We're sinful people. So don't get discouraged when you fall short of that. Just start right back where you left off and go again. And lastly, get someone to hold you
1: to it. So think about
0: your office or where you work that you could go to that's a fellow Christian or someone you admire that you could go to and say, Hey, I need to be nicer to so-and-so, would you hold me to that? Would you just check on me and make sure that I'm doing that and I'm nicer to them? Because I really need to be. Uh, And find somebody to help you stick with it and stay true to it. Love everyone, everywhere, every time. That's Jesus' resolution for us today. I challenge you to think about treating others the way Jesus treats you. The way he treats me. The way he sees you and sees me. Look at other people through that same lens. Love everyone, everywhere, every time. Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And God, our prayer this morning is that you would help us to be the kind of people that loves others the way you love others that we would understand that our neighbor is everyone. Our neighbor is the guy that we like, and our neighbor is the guy we don't like. And so God, my prayer this morning, each and every one of us to see others the way you see them, through the lens of love. Help us to love everyone, everywhere, every time, so that we can be the followers of Christ that you've called us to be. We thank you again and we pray all of this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen.